for many of us who are existing within planes where we're being oppressed, it feels like the oppression is very, very old and new at the same time. You know, we've done this, why are you still doing this? What What is causing this world to continue the perpetuation of all of this harm? But why is so, right? But then you say this is what you want to do, but then when you are faced with it, it's almost as if the moment of intimacy, the moment where you're interacting with the thing that you've written up on your walls that you say that you want to be inclusive of, you don't even see it. You think I'm the devil? I'm going to be the devil, and I'm going to show you who actually is the devil. This is a blue devil call. We are calling you to ask you, are you woke? This is awakening. Wake up! This is Downstream from What? Today, I am talking to Natalie Wood. So my name is Natalie Wood. And um, whenever I introduce myself, I always like to say um, I wear a number of different bow ties instead of hats. I love uh-huh. bow ties, and I'm wearing one right now. Yes, but um, I'm someone who is an artist, uh, a contemporary media artist, and I am also a faculty member at George Brown College in the social service worker program and doing other things at the college. And uh, lastly, I am someone who is really into um, social innovation and uh, social change, systems change, that kind of stuff. Could you talk a little bit about your motivation to art? It seems implied in so much of what you do. Well, um, so I'm, I'm from Trinidad. And I started doing art in Trinidad, but it was something that was pretty much discouraged because I had to make sure that I learned a craft or a trade or a profession that would sustain me. And my parents felt like art wasn't the thing. Art is a hobby, yeah. right? But in coming to Canada uh, to, do, um, to go to school, I picked up the art again and went to OCAD. And so the the motivation for me at the time was, first of all, I'd always had this desire. Like I, when I was little, I had this dream that when I was older, I would be living in a cave making art <laughs> and I'd have people coming over mm-hmm. and the cave would be nicely designed and I'd have people coming over from time to time to have parties and stuff like that. And then I would make art. I wasn't clear about exactly what art I was going to make, but I just saw myself in the side of a mountain, right? <laughs> Which was kind of weird, at, you know, because in Trinidad, not really. That's not the, the, the kind of scenery. I feel like almost in every family there, you know, that, that, that um, quote from forget his name but the there's a crack where in a vessel where the light comes in mm. <laughs> Leonard, Leonard Cohen, Cohen yeah. yes <laughs> so I am I feel like I am that crack in all of those ways right uh, like a little cracked crack uh, yes. right like and 
I feel like in my family, um, there has been a lot of um, historical and structural issues that have played out in the dynamics of the family. Um, and I feel that really one of the only ways for me to express it is through art. Um, and I'm someone who sees a lot of patterns in life, and I see a lot of ways in which systems perpetuate themselves within family dynamics, but also within community dynamics. And I really felt like I needed to um, find a way to express that, but also to find a way to um, make it better, right? Like the, the world could be better. Right. right. I don't know if you found this in your research at all, but um, my coming out story is a very painful one. Because um, from Trinidad, and um, I would come here to school, and I came out here, and then I would go back because I was still an international student at the time. Oh, wow. Right. So I'd go back and not really, just really loving, like, you know, you come out, you're like, Wow, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and there's this, all this release of energy and this this beautiful space that, like, I found myself in. And once my parents found out, it was horrific. It was really horrific. Like they basically assaulted me, and then they they brought in a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist talked to me and said, "Don't worry, they'll send you back," um, because they're more concerned about. Um, appearances and like keeping up appearances and yeah. that's coming from a place where um my like I'm the first person to do a PhD to do a master's um so my family comes from like poverty but then during independence time there was a push to create a middle class and they yeah. they were the the middle class right uh -huh. so they benefited from that and so their dream was for me to continue that progress, right? A very kind of Eurocentric, white supremacist kind of model. And um, I was like, no, <laughs> you know, like I don't want, I, you know, I didn't want that dream. I wanted my own dreams, right? And so anyway, I came back, cut off ties. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm in contact with them now, yeah. but it took 20 years of me just um, doing my own work, doing my, yeah. you know, connecting with other community members, thinking about how, as I mentioned before, those, those um, structural issues play out in the dynamics of a family and who gets injured and who gets harmed through, through it all, right? Yeah. So very passionate about that, very passionate about... Um, things can't be the same, right? Yeah, yeah. It has to change. And in the change, I'm thinking about a more compassionate kind of space yeah. for us to, to live and exist in. You know, my motivation includes the kind of cultural um, experiences I had in Trinidad, you know, around carnival, around freedom, so a lot of, I think a lot of the, the kinds of um, work that I do is based on the idea of freedom and liberation. 
so in your recent show at Paul Petro Gallery, um, it was called Title Relations. Title Relations, that's yes. right. Yes. And you used the concept, or it's drawing on the concept, of titalectics. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about titalectics? Titalectics comes from Kamau Braffitt. And Kamau Braffitt was, he recently passed away, was a poet, um, an academic, uh, someone who originates from the Caribbean and who has been, like many of the folks who are poets and essayists and writers from the Caribbean, trying to understand the identity of the Caribbean, what we bring to the world, the concepts around modernity and the concepts around racial capitalism, around white supremacy, around you, right? So it, it so he he came up with the the term tidalectics, and tidalectics, and for him, he was situating himself in the Caribbean, where you could see the flow of the the sea coming in and out, the tide coming in and out. And he started thinking about um, history, started thinking about time, started thinking about progress, the idea of progress. And and so tidalectics for him, and you know, and maybe I should say for me, what I'm taking from it is the idea of um, the movement of time and the movement of history. Right. So we've got this linear idea of history, present, future. Right. Um, And I think for many of us who are existing within planes where we're being oppressed, it feels like the oppression is very, very old and new at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it feels like the time is not linear and history is not linear. Actually, history is now. Right, because some of the same forces that created the disadvantage and discrimination and unfairness in the world are impacting us today, and we could see in the future it can impact us in the future. So, for him and for me, for me, time is this, and history is this thing that is very real today, and it's a contested space. It's a contested space. And it's a space where um, I'm constantly navigating the past, the present, and the future. And and very similar to when you think about Indigenous folks talking about the seven generations, like what I'm doing now is impacting seven generations in the future, but it's also impacting seven generations in the past, right? So for me, how I operate in this time and what I choose to do can impact my understanding of the past, right? And my hope for the future. I don't know if that... So so Tidalectics is about that. It's the the tides that bring in some gifts that take away some as well um, and bring in some nasty stuff and then take it away. And and the show Tidalectics came upon the heels of my other show, called They Say We Can't Breathe Underwater, that I had at A-Space. It was a solo show. I just explored the idea in that show of having to deal with the death of George Floyd, the riots, the the need for Black Lives Matter, 
um, the feeling that I couldn't breathe. Like mm-hmm. I, I kid you not, I literally felt like I couldn't breathe, and my asthma came back. You know, like flared up, and for like a period of a year and a half, I was like that. I was struggling, and so they say we can't breathe underwater was a way to get at how is it possible that some of us are still breathing? How was it possible that in the past they were able to breathe through all of that, and how and how can we move it into the future? And then out of that came tidalectics, right? They say we can't breathe underwater had elements of carnival, right? Because the Canada Council grant allowed me to create this massive costume, um, an individual costume, 15 feet, 15 feet, that I took on the road. Um, By taking it on the road, I mean like I took it through carnival, Toronto Caribbean carnival, um, and it formed part of the exhibit at the show. So we took it on the road and then parts of it were pulled apart. And some of what I was looking at was an Afro-Caribbean deity called Yamaya. And Yamaya is of the waters, right? Mm-hmm. So she she is someone who heals trauma, is someone who cares for people who are suffering, right? She's the mother of the world and of the deities, right? Um, the deities meaning Orishas. So anyway, so I was looking at, at that and then looking at what would it mean to think that at this point in time, when we say we're, we're not able to breathe, that we're actually breathing underwater. Who's around us in this landscape who could um, heal the trauma, support us, make us, you know, help us change the world um, to be a better place. So Tidal Relations was about thinking through the feeling that I had gone through a transformation, which I felt that the world in general had gone through some form of transformation after the death of, after the murder of George Floyd, but also after um, the pandemic, right? We're still kind of in the pandemic, but during the pandemic, it made us have to stop. It was an opportunity for us to stop and think. And for some of, a lot of folks, people quit their jobs because they didn't like their jobs. They realized that life was needing to be different. And I felt like I was one of those folks, right, who felt that there was a transformation happening and it felt very much like I had ancestors, I don't know, singing, dancing, yelling, screaming, devils screaming, going, you know, no, <laughs> you know, we've done this. Why are you still doing this? What What is causing this world to continue the perpetuation of all of this harm, right, to, to people who are marginalized, to people who are very vulnerable, right? Including, you know, and I'm coming from a Black queer space and a space where I have a child who's going through the school system and... Um, realizing as I'm walking with her through the school system that I have to constantly be advocating for her because she's someone who's identified as queer, as bi, who is um, 
a creative person who is mixed race black and she is still having to fight and also someone who's neurodivergent she's she's still having to fight and she's we're still having to be called in to go stop it right mm -hmm. you say you're doing this but then you say this is what you want to do but then when you are faced with it it's almost as if the moment of intimacy, the moment where you're interacting with the thing that you've written up on your walls that you say that you want to be inclusive of, you don't even see it. Yeah, You don't see it because you're, you don't want to change. You don't want to step out of your level of comfort, really. One of the things I was going to comment was blue. You use blue a yes. lot. Why blue or what's blue about? You know, the blue, of course, represents, for me anyway, represents the sea. In the work I'm doing, I'm thinking through the identity of Black folks in the world, right? So I, I have this kind of Afrofuturistic, Afro-serialist kind of approach, more Afro-serialist approach to the kind of artwork that I do. I'm thinking about Blue, the Middle Passage, which is, you know, and an understanding of the Black Atlantic, right? So, you know, the Blue Devils and the kind of performance that happens with the Blue Devils, it's almost like you're losing your moorings in this world on the land and you're mooring yourself into the depths of something, right? So the depths of the sea, right? And the tragedy of the sea um, and the tragedy of the Middle Passage, more, more, not so much the tragedy of the sea, but the tragedy of the Middle Passage. And I'm not sure why it is so strong right now, but I'm just going to go with it. Mm -hmm. Blue is that. Blue is the ocean... Um, People use blue to protect themselves. Don't know if you know that, but in the Caribbean in particular, um, and also in some Arabic countries, you've got the figa. Um, it's in blue. You've got the blue eye. People, Some people wear the mm. blue eye. Mm -hmm. And it's all about um, protecting you. You know, when we do the Blue Devils, we, we completely change our appearance and really our identity. Um, because even though it's a, a Trinidadian-born um, practice and performance and art performance, um, it really once you put blue, you're you belong to the same tribe, whether you're whether you're white or South Asian or whoever, right? Like you, we belong together, and we're moving together, and we're connecting with something together. Um, that can release energy, right? Form a catharsis of some kind. Could you describe the Blue Devil? So the Blue Devil emerged at a time in um, history where it was a disruptive force, a kind of performative force pushing back on how Caribbean folk and how Black folk are seen, right? And um, in particular, connecting to Christian kind of beliefs around who's the devil, who should be the devil as well. It's well known that blackness and devil are associated together. So here are these group of people going, fuck you. You uh -huh. think I'm the devil? 
I'm going to be the devil and I'm going to show you who actually is the devil, Uh right? At the time, they embodied a kind of perversion, almost like a mirror perversion, right? Like you, you have come here, you've said that this is the way you operate in the world, that you are wholly better than everybody else and whatever else, but yet still under covers, you are enslaving people and you are, um, you know, you're engaging in sexual exploitation and extraction of the land and all of this stuff. So I started to find recently how there was queerness in that. When the early folks would dress in blue, they would have like, you know, um, things that represented penises. They would engage in copulation on the street, right? Like performance, performative copulation and stuff like that. The performance itself is kind of like a possession. So the blue devil is an archetypal um, carnival masquerade that emerged during emancipation times. And it emerged to disrupt and to intervene in the kinds of social contracts that were being developed at the time, right? That you had to behave a certain way and all of this stuff. So it's like a complete tearing up of any kind of social contract. And instead, it's an embodying of an energy. The performance has a particular kind of dance. It has a particular appearance. The expectation is that you blew anyone who will not give you money, right? So mm-hmm. as the church would come around and say, okay, in my church, you ha- we take a tithe. Well, the blue devils were taking their tithe, right? Like, and they were demanding money. And usually it was a, a dollar. So they would come around and go, dollar, 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 right, in your face. And um, they... Of all the devils, red devil, yellow devil, green devil, white devil, all of the gold devil, all of the devils, blue devil is the worst devil, mm. right? In that we breathe fire, so we eat, we eat, you know, in Trinidad they say we eat fire, but you blow, you blow fire. We um, associated with snakes. And what was interesting for me was that I mentioned before that it took me 20 years to go back to Trinidad. Mm-hmm. I went back to Trinidad, again on a Canada Council grant. I went to do a residency in Trinidad. I went, and that was the beginning of the kind of healing in my family, right? Because I was then able to go back on my own terms. In that moment, when I went back, I was able to go and witness the Blue Devils in Paramin, and I was just blown away the energy to be up on a mountain and have all of these people in blue just start crawling down a hill and they're going, ah! and you, you know, the, the, you have this, And you've got all of these folks coming and asking you for a dollar. And if not, they're going to trick you or they're going to like blue you or hold you, or right? Like, um, and then you could see the energy of people. People, like it, it was like they became other, like superhuman almost or like alternate. I don't know. I'd, so I brought that back with me to, to Toronto and I thought, Let's intervene in Carabana because Carabana is this place where 
It is very heteronormative. It is very also pretty mass. And by pretty mass, I mean like the nice costumes with everything glittering and stuff. And then on the other hand, you have the blue devil who is like painting everybody blue and is, you know, scares people at the same time and is trying to get in people's face and try to disrupt this kind of idea of what is progress, what is mass, what is normal. So that first year when folks in the Blue Devil Posse brought people together and people like Anna Willits, but also Cyrus Ware, um, Nick Redman, um, you know, I had a whole bunch of these folks who came in and we just decided that we were going to intervene, but we were also going to um, speak about our concerns about Canada's peacekeeping mission into Afghanistan and around the world because we felt that it was shifting politically. And so, <laughs> you know, so the Blue Devil is an intervention. So we we have intervened into the Caribbean Festival in Canada. We've intervened into Pride, wanting to bring back the idea of protest. There's a kind of respectability politics operating right, in both of these places that really erases the origins of the parade or the, the, the actual, why are we having a queer parade? Because there has been oppression, because there still continues to be oppression, and it's not just a party, right? And it's the same with the Caribbean Festival. It's not just a party. It actually has voices of freedom and liberation running through it. So that's where the Blue Devil Posse comes in. That's amazing. So the Blue Devil call is um, for you to know when we come together, as we start to blue ourselves, we come together and we're talking and we're laughing and we're bluing ourselves. And at the same time, we're beginning to lose. It's, it's really weird. It's like we're beginning to lose our words. Okay, so um, I don't know if, 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 you know, the Blue Devil call is many, mm. right? So this is a Blue Devil call. We are calling you to ask you, are you woke? This is awakening, right? The idea is for people to, to wake up, right? Wake up, right? In the process of us performing, we go from speaking to ha, ha, right, ha, ha, right, and um, the whistles. We start to move jerkily. We start to often we're protesting something, so we have signs on our bodies and stuff like that. Because Caribbean folks know about us, it's fun. Folks are either afraid of the blue. Don't, don't, don't mess up my my clothes, right, right. <laughs> And so we, we often chase people or parents actually bring their kids to be scared by the blue devil with the hopes that the kid could look the devil in the eye, hmm. right? Because to, to live in this world as, as people who are oppressed or marginalized, you have to be able to deal with the devil and the devil of respectability I'm talking about, right? The respectability devil, basically, right? 
the systems that associated with the church, the systems associated with education, as systems, right? Like there are devils within those systems that perpetuate the harm and pain. You know, for some, I think for some folks, like um, class protects them, right? Yeah. And But for other folks, like, you know, like right now, like we can't be free and if parts of our LGBTQ2IA plus are not free, uh-huh. right? And so, you know, what we're hearing from the experience of trans folks are very relevant to we need to continue the fight. Whereas some folks, I think, have felt like, okay, we're good. We're good. Right. Right. And we could and we could um, be part of this um, Canadian dream of 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 respectability. I, I, I don't know. Like, right. Because I'm not there. I can't be there yet. So the Blue Devil is it's a playful it's it's sexual. It's it's, you know, disruptive. It's interventionist. And it's a way to just kind of remind us of the energies from which our truth lie, right? Like our truth uh-huh. lies in those energies, yeah. right, of liberation. And um, we need to be able to continuously tap into that to remind us of what we're about. Because th- there's so many ways in which the respectableness kind of asks you to collude yeah. with them, you know, and the desire for us to belong is a kind of a problem because to belong means you are accepting the script. The world is not going to exist if we continue to to consume, to extract, to and by extracting, I'm talking about extracting from people, from bodies of people, but also from the land and the seas and the air and the et cetera, et cetera, right? Like there's there's a there's a counter narrative that actually ties all of those together that I'm trying to situate myself in, right? When I do this Blue Devil stuff, when I do my art, etc. Queen West as a moment um, isn't well captured historically, I don't think, and I don't think your moment in it is captured. So I'd love for you to talk about your relationship to that kind of scene that existed on Queen West? My entrance into Queen West came, I think, through A Space Gallery, right? Um, I was a board member on, a, uh, on the gallery at, the, at A Space, and Andrew was on the board, right? And um, I loved his energy, right? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> and it, it's, it's, I think it's a lot to do with that kind of, that, DIY kind of spirit, yes. right? The the spirit where you're creating something that something new um, in response to the exclusion, and I think that's where I connect with um, the folks along Queen West. I don't know what people thought of me, <laughs> really, but um, you know, definitely I engaged in terms of the queerness. Right and the 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 politics around queerness and the politics around um, we have to do things differently, right? And and also the politics of joy, right? Like there was a for me, I felt like I was able to tap into a lot of joy 
in those spaces. You know, all of the stuff I was doing, all of the work I was doing within the queer community at the time, I was able to tap in there. You know, there's there there is the push pull, right? Because there are places where I'm I I I am included, and other places where I'm not so included. That feels a little um, alienating for me. So, but yeah, so mm-hmm. I really, I really felt that that time along Queen West was a time, like I missed that time. I missed the, um, the kind of scruffiness of it. I missed the kind of, um, almost pop-up feeling of it. I, I don't know how else to describe it, right? At the time there was, um, HIV AIDS, that other pandemic that was happening and affecting our communities. And I was living at the time with my partner, in Margaret Lawrence Co-op. And Margaret Lawrence Co-op was a co-op set aside for queer folks, right? So a lot of the folks in that co-op were struggling with um, the pandemic that was happening, right? And so it was in the the environment that I was in and people feeling like um, it was life and death, right? It was life and death. And so we had to do things differently. And when you talk about the DIY, that <laughs> reminds me of Zsa, Zsa Gallery, yes. which Andrew Harwood ran. And uh, and I might get choked up because <laughs> it's a time that's gone, right? Yes. Um, but uh, you could pitch a show. I know. You could just walk in and pitch a show. Yep. Yep. And there it was. Yep. Yeah. And so very accessible. And, you know, and you just... Talk to, to Andrew. And then also it was an opportunity to be in conversation with um, folks who were who were not part of the establishment, let's say, right? I think there was less professionalism, right? And that's part of that respectability thing, right? Like you have to have a degree, you have to... Duh. I think that was a time when um, it was hopeful in a way, even though we were dealing with loss, um, it was it was a hopeful place where we could perform joy, where we could perform a different way of being. The question is that I've I've been posing to myself, but why is so right? Why are you so? Why are you doing that? Why are you why are you saying one thing and doing another thing? Why, why is it that this is happening where on, the, on a small scale, so it's almost like a fractal energy, on a small scale, there is this harm being perpetuated within the self, maybe within the family unit, right, and the dynamic. But then on a larger scale, it's, it's reflected on a larger scale. And it's okay for you to go on the larger scale, you should stop that. But then you're not seeing that you're actually performing. You're performing the harm and re-perpetuating the harm, right? Or perpetuating the harm. And um, it's, it's a place where I kind of, I've struggled with, within my family, I've struggled with, within my my team in my workplace and the workplace in the various other places that I've been in the arts world as well. Do you guys know Dean Dory, Dory Tunstall? Dory Tunstall is the first black dean um, of design in the world at OCADU. 
she talks about some of the systems that are steeped in Eurocentric and white supremacist kinds of values. And some of those values are com competition at all costs. The individual above the collective, right? The, the um, urgency of time. Got it. Right. Whereas time, if time flows the way Kamau Brafit says it flows, right? Um, and the way other physicists are saying it flows now, like, um, then why, why is there this urgency around time? Why is this desire for competition? Why is it, and because competition breeds who is in and who is out. And then this whole idea of progress. The fuck is that? This is why we're in the, the situation we are in, where we have the one percenters kind of deciding for the entire world how the world should be, because they have all of, they have the majority of resources. So for me, that piece around why are we continuing to uphold these values that harm us? And then when it, it rears its head in front of your face, where someone says, hey, no, what you're doing is harmful. Instead, you you try to continue the exclude. Like it just, it's it's very infuriating. It's very frustrating. Um, and you know, you talk about Queen West. Queen West was a moment, and now it's being gentrified. Yeah. Right. And the gentrification has a certain kind of person in mind. It doesn't have the Andrew Harwoods. It doesn't have the Catherine Mulherans. It doesn't have the you know, it doesn't have me in that image, right? Who does it exclude? It excludes, and this is where my social innovation stuff comes in, right? Social innovation talks about who's in the center, talks about who's in the margins. The folks in the margins are the folks who are continuously innovating, because we have to figure out ways in which to find joy, ways in which to survive, etc. And we're continuously innovating. And the folks who are in the middle are comfortable. Why do they have to change? They don't have to do anything. They just have to live their lives the way they live their lives. But, you know, the folks in the margin have a role to play. But instead, you're pushing, pushing us out further and further and further away. And then you come to us to... to, to you know, extract ideas or extract resources, and then you corporatize it or you, you commodify it in some way, right? So it just pisses me off. Right? <laughs> yeah. It just pisses me off, right? Downstream from what is a co-creation of myself, Ken Moffat, and Ben McCarthy. Art is by Autumn Fazari. Original score by Ben McCarthy. Downstream from what is created under the auspices of the Jack Layton Chair and is funded by the Dean Faculty of Arts, the Dean Faculty of Community Services at Toronto Metropolitan University.